Let us pray. Guide us, O God, by your word and spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover your peace, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The first scripture reading today comes from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chose. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing up into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading today is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. One of the best scenes in cinematic history is in Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade. Actually, I might be able to argue that several of the best movie scenes ever are in that movie. But the particular one that I'm thinking of is one in which Indy and his father are fighting Nazis in a race to recover the legendary Holy Grail, the cup that Jesus was said to have used at the Last Supper, and in which some of his blood was uh, said to have been caught during the crucifixion. And as usual in Indiana Jones movies, the Nazis are better prepared and equipped for the journey than he is. In other words, they have a tank and he does not. After a long and exciting fight with the bad guys, Indiana's father and the rest of their group watch in horror as the tank that Indiana is on goes over a huge cliff dramatically in the middle of the fight and rolls down the hill a bit. And everything goes quiet as they just stare over the edge of the cliff at the wreckage, trying to process what has just happened. And a few moments later, a very shaken up and battered Indiana Jones appears at the back of the group and joins them in looking over the edge of the cliff. And after a few beats, just long enough for the moviegoers to get the joke and to laugh at it, Everyone notices him standing there, and joyful hugs are given. When you think about it, aside from the tank and the Nazis, that's not too far off from the ascension scene that we walk in on today in Scripture. The only difference is that in the Scripture passage, some messengers come to tell the stunned crowd to stop looking where they last saw Jesus, because he'll be back. And there's stuff to do in the meantime it's a really good thing that God sent these messengers. Can you imagine how quickly the story would have died if they hadn't shown up to say, hey guys, pay attention. If the disciples had just kept staring up hopelessly instead of mobilizing. If they had just sort of parted ways and that was that. They needed a reminder that they hadn't been abandoned or they probably wouldn't have managed to go on with their adventure. Jesus, who took on the task of redeeming humanity and all creation, went home to God in that moment, taking us home to God with him, right up into God's own heart. I know that takes a little bit of effort to process. It's one of those concepts that can make our brain hurt if we try to think too hard. How can we be here and in the heart of God at the same time? But that is the beauty of Christ. God is no more under the rule of time and space than he is under the rule of a duck or a spider web. And so the disciples are charged to stop looking up and to start looking around. They're told to channel their frustration with the broken world that they lived in and their fear into working to spread God's light in the world, not just in words or arguments, but in actions and in deeds. They are told to be living, breathing, moving, and acting examples of God's love for humanity. They are to reenact Jesus' taking up of humanity to God in sharing hope and gospel and love with everyone they could. 
Just a few weeks ago on Easter, Mary was staring into an empty tomb where he was, where he had been. And now the apostles are staring into the sky where he was, where he had gone. They had no idea what the future held, and they knew they were unequipped on their own. And all of this was new and confusing. So they had a pretty normal human reaction. They just kept looking where they knew they had last seen Jesus. Without fail, if I leave my house through the front door and come in through the back door when I get home, my dog gets very confused. She will often still be lying near the front door, expecting me to appear through it any minute and to help her get on with her day. When small children get old enough that they begin to feel anxious about separation from their parent, they will often sit or stand by the door their parent left through, crying. It's a normal response. It's not that there's nothing to do at their daycare or at their preschool or grandma's house. And it's not even necessarily that they are in an unfamiliar place. They just know that they need their parent to get along in the world. And even when they are given a surrogate caregiver, that's frightening for them. Just after the disciples have started to get used to the idea of Jesus' resurrection, they are told that he's going to send the Holy Spirit to guide them because he's going to leave now and go to heaven. And they, like Indiana Jones' companions, or a small child at daycare, are left staring at the place they last saw him. We still tend to look at where Jesus was more than realizing where he is. When our hearts are out of tune with the Holy Spirit and God's will and God's plans, we don't know where to find him, so we look at where he used to be, the last place we know we saw him. Some people remember the day they first realized their need for Jesus like it was yesterday. Perhaps it was at a summer camp or at a retreat or at a conference. And often we long to regain that same emotional feeling that happened that day. For some churches, the last place they know they saw Jesus was a booming Sunday school program with dozens of kids in the 1980s, but only has three or four now. For others, it might be an annual event that used to draw hundreds of people from the community that the community no longer seems to care about. And so often efforts go to trying to figure out how to fill the Sunday school rooms again or get better publicity for that annual event next year so that things can look like they did when they knew that Jesus was there. Even though God has started moving in different ways and places since then, new seasons have begun. We have to be careful not to find ourselves standing around, staring up, waiting for God to come back and redeem it all for us, or just take us up to heaven with Jesus so it doesn't matter anymore. We have to be careful not to be left behind when new seasons begin. Because the churches that don't embrace new seasons are closing their doors faster than any of us would like to count. When we're looking up or looking back, we aren't able to look ahead. Now, this is not to say at all that the past is irrelevant. The disciples weren't asked to stop looking up because what Jesus did leading up to the ascension was irrelevant. They were asked to stop looking up because it was so relevant. 
What Jesus did leading up to and in his ascension was so important that the disciples had to stop staring in the sky and carry on with the momentum that Jesus started. Similarly, in the church, we don't look forward to new missions and programs and adventures because the ones from seasons past don't matter. We look forward to and move on to new things because the ones in the past are so important that we should be honoring them by moving gracefully and with energy into each new season as it hits. When you are out driving, I sincerely hope that you are using your rearview mirror. Without it, you can't tell if something is about to rear-end you. But if you drive around looking out the rearview mirror all the time, you are going to wreck your car. You have to look out the windshield to what's ahead of you to avoid obstacles, and so you have half a clue where you're going and what street you're on. The rearview mirror is important, but not as important as the windshield. And I know it is very hard to see where God is moving and leading each of us individually and all of us as a community. It is way easier to look to where we know Jesus was moving than to figure out where he is moving. But we are given the Holy Spirit, who we will celebrate robustly next week on Pentecost. We are given practices by which we can tune our hearts so that we can better hear the Holy Spirit guiding us to where Jesus is moving. These practices open the eyes of our hearts to see Jesus more fully and therefore to know him more fully, and to follow him more fully. Those of you who are musicians know that you have to tune an instrument if you're going to make a nice noise with it, and especially if you want the noise it makes to sound nice with the other instruments that are also making noises. If you don't tune, it's just going to be unpleasant noise. I've gone through many music lessons with the children in my house, and I know this lesson well. But when they are all in tune and playing well together, it transforms from noise into music. So we are going to make music together this week leading up to Pentecost. You all have homework this week. And I know there are those of you in this crowd who were once told you aren't musical, and I ask for you to not panic because A, whoever told you that is wrong. Everyone can be musical if they put their mind to it and have the right nurture and care. And B, I don't mean literal music anyway. We're going to tune our hearts a little bit. We're going to look around at where God is moving and leading us in our day-to-day -day lives. This is something that everyone of every age can participate in. And speaking of everyone of every age, Levi, could you come help me for a minute? I think he's in there. He's on the couch. He's on the, I wonder if he's awake. Can I have a friend come assist me since my son has disappeared? Would you like to help me? Thank you. Excellent. Could you make sure everybody gets a couple of these, maybe like three or four? Thank you. Like I said, this is something for everyone of every age to participate in. And we won't just stop next week. I realize there are folks that are away for the holiday weekend. We'll continue this for a few weeks. Um, but I also uh, want you all to pay attention to the camera on your phone, if you have a camera on your phone, which most phones have anymore, okay? 
Um, and if you don't have a camera on your phone, I want you to carry another camera around with you if you are able. And as you are out and about this day, this week, take pictures wherever you are of humanity being taken into the heart of God by Jesus. In other words, where do you see people being lifted up in love and grace to God's own heart? Where do you see Jesus at work in the lives of those around you? Where do you see the downtrodden being given a hand up, the lonely being joined in fellowship, the weary being given rest, or injustice being battled for the sake of the suffering? The ascension means that we are beloved by and held by God, so go and find the evidence of that in the world around you. You can text or email those pictures to me or print them out and leave them on my desk or bring them with you to church next Sunday. You can fill out one of these papers, carry them around with you, that say, I know that God is at work in the world around me because dot, 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 fill in the blank. You could write a poem. You could clip an article from the newspaper. Whatever it is that shows you God at work around you, and we're going to make an Ascension collage. Between now and next week, we'll come up with a more clever title for that than Ascension Collage. But for today, we will call it our Ascension Collage. And we're going to put it here in the church with these pictures and these um, events and uh, drawings, whatever it is that you bring in for that, this evidence of God around us. If you have kids or grandkids, I strongly encourage you to give them this assignment and hand them a camera for a little while because the pictures that they get are humbling and beautiful when you do something like this. Ask them just to take pictures of people being loved by God. And these don't have to be pictures of people. They can be pictures of nature. They can be pictures of other blessings. But they can be pictures of people as well. If you don't have a camera, like I said, you can draw a picture or write a poem, cut an article from the paper, or write something down on one of these God-citing papers. Just something that shows us that God is real and present in this world. We're tuning our hearts to see God at work around us. The first step to pointing out God to the rest of the world is that our hearts are in tune and seeing God ourselves. We're going to open our physical eyes with a purposeful prayer that God will in turn open our spiritual eyes.